Hello, everyone, and welcome to As We Like It, your favorite Shakespeare movie discussion podcast. Now, I know last episode we said we would be discussing Akira Kurosawa's Ron, the unadaptation of King Lear this episode. Uh, Well, I kind of made a mistake because I did not do my research, and it turns out that a movie theater near me is showing Ron at the end of the month. So after Avon and Mark had already watched it on their end, I asked that they'd be okay postponing Ron, so we're actually going to do that later when I get a chance to see it on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead, we are watching the, or we are talking about the 2006 romantic comedy, teen movie, sports movie, high school movie, She's the Man, starring Amanda Bynes and Channing Tatum. An adaptation of Twelfth Night, or inspired by Twelfth inspired Night, by. as they say. Yes. So had you seen this before? I had not. And I remember when the trailers first came out thinking like, oh, it is the same thing that 10 Things did. Mm -hmm. Uh, And thinking, oh, it doesn't look as good as 10 Things is. (laughs) The interesting thing about that is it is very specifically the same thing that 10 Things did in that it is the same script writers. Oh, I didn't realize. Okay. Yeah. So I think it was a conscious attempt to do the same thing. To do the same thing. We hadn't seen it either, right? No, we hadn't seen it either. But the cynical media critic in me will say, who on earth, especially when you are talking about teenagers, uh, predicates their movie choices based on screenwriters, let alone even knows who those are? No, of course not. <laughs> That's, no, from the studio, it might have been an attempt to do the same thing. Well, it was a different studio, different yeah. producer, different Ten director. Things was Touchstone. This was DreamWorks. Okay. So, so the only thing they have this, that so. connects them is, is the screenwriters. Right. So, And the fact that they're based on the... Shakespeare. Then the fact that in high school, yes. And the bard, you know, just the bard. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you want to take it away with our initial impressions of the movie? Well, I think your uh, impression from seeing the trailer was pretty spot on. I mean, it's the same idea, but not as well done. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it nearly as much as I liked uh, Ten Things. And I, I will say the only thing that kept me going through this movie is Channing Tatum. Yeah, yeah, he was he was nice to watch. I mean, good. <laughs> N- nice to look at. I just happened to particularly like Channing Tatum, especially um, I just saw Hail Caesar two days ago. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Oh. He plays a dancing sailor movie actor. It's yeah. I, I just I'm a big fan of his current career. So it was nice to see him uh, do something when he's younger. But yeah, I. I think that 10 Things succeeds in being a teen movie that has a good enough cast and a good enough uh, overall just production that Mm -hmm. it does not feel unwatchable. And I'm not saying that She's the Man is unwatchable, but the cast was not as good. Mm -hmm. The movie had some very weird, very specific, just kind of goofy high school choices that Mm -hmm. made it for me. Uh, you know, an, an experience that I wouldn't normally have. Like, I would gladly watch 10 Things again anytime. Yes, yeah. because I love it, but also because I think it's a good movie. This, on the other hand, I, I don't think kind of fits that. No, I don't have any particular urge to rewatch it. No. I think there were a lot of, uh, and I'm sure it was deliberate to some extent, but a lot of the cliches of high school movies in there and yeah. not particularly amusingly handled. They were just there. Yeah. yeah, like the character of Eunice. Yeah, right. exactly. She stands up, and the and the principal. Yeah, you know, you compare that principal. It was kind of forced. 
Yeah, it didn't, and it didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. It just it didn't pay off in the yeah. end. Um, yeah, comparing that principal, who's played by David Cross, who I generally love, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. to the guidance counselor mm-hmm. played by um, Allison Janney in Ten Things, and there's just no comparison. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this actually leads me to something I I want to uh, address immediately. Um, there's no way you can get around the gay subtext and. <laughs> Just this yeah. the situation of the twelfth night. Yeah. Um, but I was really, I'm not gonna say uncomfortable. I wasn't uncomfortable, but I, there were uh, two characters who were heavily implied to be gay, but it was never really stated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that struck me as very weird. And I know 2006 was is ten years ago, and yeah, things were still a little, a, but yeah. yeah. But still, like, her best friend, who's this cute boy who is a hairstylist who gives her a makeover. Yeah. Like, was absolutely and clearly hmm. set up as that stereotyped role in, and then, in the, of the best friend, the gay best friend. Yeah. And then also, I got those vibes from the, pres- uh, the principal, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. David Cross was probably most famous for playing Tobias on Arrested Development, a character who is heavily insinuated to be completely oblivious about his own sexuality and i i think maybe that was intentional to uh downplay the kind of weird homoeroticism of the main plot Mm -hmm. like oh look it's goofy yeah and and i mean that you know that that is is such a an obviously intended part of the original play that they almost it almost seems like they were trying to diffuse it so that they could back away from it or something mm-hmm. well and this movie had the the i guess somewhat difficult proposal that's not the right word the difficult task of making amanda Bynes seem like a man or a teenage boy mm-hmm. um which i don't think it really did very effectively at all no. it's kind of you know the magical world of the film where everybody bought it but we obviously know it's amanda Bynes. of course watching 12th night in you know, when did it come out? Sixteen ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the humor would have been compounded based on the fact that Viola is a man pretending to be a woman, pretending to be a man. Yeah, yeah. Um, all, all of that. Yeah, all of that cross dressing stuff works so differently in the male only casts. Mm-hmm. That's true of um, classical comedy and 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 Shakespearean comedy. There's this whole different meta theatrics going on that isn't there in the in the films and so it, it does make the movies read very differently than the plays do and also just the realism the you know when it's a movie where everybody looks like real people dressed like normal people acting like normal people and then suddenly you're supposed to believe in this transformation it's very different than watching it on a stage where everybody's in stage get up and stage makeup and all yeah. the boys all the women are actually boys dressed up like women so just adding one other layer of of oh now we just have to accept she's a man okay sure fine whatever is but very get, different than watching it in a movie and i guess this kind of ties back into some of our criticisms of julie Taymor's tempest mm-hmm. where elements that on stage are perfectly naturalistic or understandable mm-hmm. uh, don't translate to film there's no real magic way to do that yeah yeah yeah, I was thinking that when I, because I, I looked back at the play, as usual, I hadn't read it in a long time, so I went and skimmed through just the parts that are the most relevant this afternoon. And I was thinking how much of the movie is devoted to 
the problems she has trying to pretend to be a boy. Right. Right? So first of all, there's all the setup of her. We have to set her up as a tomboy first. Second, we have to set her up as wanting to rival the boys with the whole soccer thing. Right. Then we have to have the makeover scene and, you know, okay, makeover montage, fine. Then we have to have the training. Then we have to go through scene after scene after scene after scene of awkwardness and almost being caught out and saying the wrong thing and trying to outbro the bros and all of that. Whereas in the play, she literally says in the first act, in first like scene or second scene, Viola says to the sea captain that has taken her to shore, huh, I don't know what I'm going to do in this new strange place I've been shipwrecked. I think um I think I'll dress up as a eunuch and get you to introduce me to the court of the duke and then I'll pretend to be a boy. Okay? And he says, yeah, sure, I won't tell anyone. And then from then on, she's a boy. Yeah. <laughs> and not once is there, like, nobody... And that, well, I don't know. Well, now, if I can make a counter-argument, though, okay. there is a kind of meta-theatrical element to that in that there's a lot of uh, knowing language in there that reminds us of mm -hmm. play and... Uh, uh, artificiality and so forth yes so it's a nod and a wink to the audience they know what's going right. on but that's very different than making a major plot point being she might be exposed as a girl at any moment so the movie is all about or not all about but there's this huge there's an element long yeah. element of at any moment you know the tampons fall out of her purse the yeah. this the that yeah, yeah. she says the wrong thing she you know keep every again and again and again she's almost exposed mm. or she's going to get it wrong and she has to try to become a man. Mm. So there's hope this big, there's this big play with gender. That is how do you express gender? What is, yeah. what is the, well, and I would think that that's the, I mean, the one thing perhaps that they sort of do a bit right is that, mm. um, I don't it, think it's that bad. A movie. Well, it's not that bad. <laughs> a movie, no. But I mean, one of the things that they did best was that there is this whole idea of gender, the performance of gender. Mm -hmm. Right. And she gets it, comically wrong a by lot trying of the time, to do it by trying to do it in, in, a, in an artificial way and that's sort of the point no i agree i but that that was just i was just trying to point out that I, that's very different from the play where the gender switch sets up the rest yeah. of the plot yeah, yeah, yeah. but is not the plot i mean it but, is I mean, it, there was elements of it this is the plot but the actual mechanics of the gender switch on the literal level is are yeah. not the plot yeah. whereas that's a, like the whole first act of the play of the movie basically is the mechanics of the gender switch yeah but at, at the same time like being a eunuch or pretending to be a eunuch is one something that's very uh plausible for a, a younger woman mm -hmm. in the 1600s mm -hmm. that there's just no cultural Equivalent, uh, yeah. Yeah, today. Well, so, and the funny thing is that eunuch idea seems to disappear because she says that at the beginning of the first scene, I'm going to pretend to be a eunuch. Yeah. But by the time Olivia is falling in love with her, clearly she's not presenting as a eunuch. She's presenting as a boy. Yeah. And then by the time that, like, they're worried that, you know, Olivia thinks she's marrying her. Him. You know. <laughs> Cesario. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, Cesario, the, the, the pretend uh, male that Viola is. So... Clearly... Slash the uh, owner of the pizza place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, they did some fun play with some of the names, I will say. I mean, the, just the fact that he was called Duke Orsino. Yeah. That it was like, yeah, of course he is. Duke is a completely fine name for <laughs> an athlete in a high school. In a high school. Sure. But, um, but, yeah, that just, 
I don't know. That's just a strange inconsistency in the Shakespeare, I think, that she says initially. That that odd, she, yeah. But also uh, a young boy being feminine was also completely that there was a space for that mm-hmm. in in the Renaissance period. Uh, there being an overlap in the looks mm-hmm. of a of a young of a young man looking beautiful or pretty mm-hmm. like a girl did was a completely and, and a plausible and attractive context which it is less so now so yeah it's a... and that kind of leads me into what i really want to talk about this movie um is the weird weird way it presents gender roles mm-hmm. because watching 10 things 10 things takes taming of the shrew and it very much uses it and uses its modern interpretation to empower the female characters to make a strong argument for you know women like cat who don't go with men because it's part of the social expectation mm-hmm. um you know just the other day on tumblr one of my friends reblogged a picture uh or a, a gift set of cat you know saying something and it was just i'm so glad i had this presence in my life when i was younger mm-hmm. um so you know you would think that especially given the way uh viola gets to speak kind of truth about what it is to be a woman to men who don't realize that she is a woman mm-hmm. like you would think that there would be so much potential in that but what i was struck by is i thought this movie did a lot more to um expand masculinity than it did to expand femininity i agree because yeah. yeah while while viola is presented as a tomboy this weird current throughout the entire film is her bizarre mother's obsession with a debutante ball <laughs> which at the end of the movie everybody in town apparently goes to because you see yeah. every character there and they you know they come out as as a debutante does and then amanda Bynes dresses up in a dress and you know like Fits she does into it in her, her mother's role yeah yeah exactly though and, she also is not very ladylike in the doing of it hmm. so i suppose that's her rebellion but yeah it's it's hardly it seems to be more about uh you know taking on her misconception about masculinity because she she when she attempts to present as male she has you know she she hasn't she, thought, she hasn't thought through what it is to, what be, it is male to be male and then and all. then you see the the male characters uh actually having you know so much more depth than her than her character her of her, her caricature of them but then then they also are are thinking through what it is to be male i mean that's the whole thing about yeah. um duke orsino is and that it's he that, is, yeah. is struggling with his own his own worries about yeah. how he's supposed to present as male and what that how that reflects on what he actually wants yeah. to do. I agree, John. I can, I was thinking the same thing that I think it does actually a really interesting job of tackling masculinity. Masculinity, but not so much at but all. But it does very but... little, if anything, with femininity. Yeah. And yeah, and to say that, it sounds almost like an implicit indictment, and I don't mean it as such. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Anne Marie Slaughter. She was uh one, she has a, an amazing name. <laughs> Two, she was one of Hillary Clinton's chief advisors at the State Department, and she became kind of famous for publishing an article a couple of years ago called Why Women Still Can't Have It All. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. And a lot of people reacted very strongly, and in a way that Ms. Slaughter believes is kind of a misinterpretation of what she was saying. Um, and in her book, Unfinished Business, which is still recently out, um, basically she expands on her argument saying that it's not enough to expand femininity we have to expand masculinity yeah and uh de uh taboo eyes i guess destigmatize is the proper word <laughs> no i like the taboo eyes i'm gonna use it from now on <laughs> okay uh, you know 
the idea of being a single father or mm-hmm. of a stay-at-home dad, you know, dads being more active in their mm-hmm. uh, kids' life, stuff like that. Because, you know, this idea of a woman having it all, i.e. Mm-hmm. being a mom and a, you know, a, a career woman mm-hmm. kind of necessarily implies that a man ha- having it all does not include being a father, or at least mm-hmm. not in the same way that being a mother does. Yeah, well, in fact, you have to expand it and say that men have to be able to have it all as well and that they haven't. So re- exactly. recognizing that, in fact, men have not had it all up till now. Mm. What they have exactly. had is one part of it. And they have not, they're, you know, it's gender separated roles. It's not one gender getting everything and the other gender only getting some. That's true of certain kinds of power, but it isn't true of uh, full life experience. And there was a little bit of that, I thought, mm-hmm. in their discussions as roommates mm-hmm. between Duke and Viola, where, you know, he... he was saying, oh, I just want to talk to a girl about, you know, like, whatever. And she says, you know, like, we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. And, like, he gets this kind of, like, weird kind of gay read of the scene. But at the same time, like, it's it's showing that there's this a wall erected between, uh, like, masculine socialization behavior that, like, men can't do. Yeah. Yeah, but both that men can't share with one another and they can't share with a woman. Right. Yes. Which is, you know, deeply tragic mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think true no i i actually thought that the scenes in which those those things were explored were the absolutely the, the, the strengths yeah. of the yeah. movie that and inc- including even the ones that were played for comic effect uh like when she as i said tried to outbro the bros yeah. you know near the beginning and they were like dude don't, why are you acting so weird <laughs> why are you you know why are you being essentially such a a, a macho or not even yeah, macho because yeah managing macho but you know an over-the-top kind of uh character of, yeah. of that kind of jock male and they're like no but you don't act like that like god <laughs> and those even though they were played for comic effect some of them i thought that they were mm-hmm. some of the stronger mm-hmm. parts um because they were they were trying to break that down and say everybody has a struggle with how they present themselves in contrast to the expectations that they see around them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're not going to get a real and full and healthy relationship between a man and a woman if the man is too scared to act mm-hmm. in a authentic way. And because the, I mean, he was going through that with Olivia. And then that was, I think, and that's the way that it matches up with Twelfth Night. Mm-hmm. He was too scared of not doing it right and not presenting as the macho man that he thought he should be mm-hmm. to approach her in an authentic way and therefore she was totally uninterested in him mm-hmm. even though he doesn't end up with her in this in the end and isn't supposed to in the story he would have been happier if he could have been less male and she would have been more interested and i mean by that male in quotation marks of course but and that that was an interesting uh, story. That was an interesting part of the movie, I thought. And again, it may be putting too much of an emphasis on the role of the screenwriters in terms of their development of the film, but I wonder if it was a question of they thought they they had successfully re-examined gender from the female point, female of, point of view in uh, Ten Things, and they were trying... Sp- explicitly to do something similar with male gender and so they just simply weren't trying to uh you know use this as an opportunity Mm -hmm. to do anything with viola um 
but that it was more about the yeah. relationship between the, the male characters. Yeah, I don't think that that's necessarily implausible. I also think it's there in the in the play. Yes. I think the play is about um, masculine... I mean, it's about femininity too in the play, but there's I think there is more emphasis on what kind of men are interesting to women and what kind of men and how men interact with one another in mm-hmm. the play. Mm-hmm. So, if, yeah. you know, then and while, of course, Kiss Me, uh, Taming of the Shrew has more of an emphasis on women's roles and women's place. So it does make sense yeah. from the source material. <laughs> One, I, well, I, I love that you just said Kiss Me, Kate. Yes, I know. I, know. I, keep, I keep doing that whenever <laughs> we're talking about that. <laughs> silly because I don't know that I've even actually seen, the seen Kiss Me, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it several years ago. I saw a touring production that I enjoyed. Oh, yeah. uh, two, you introduced me to, I don't mean to uh, put you on the spot, but you introduced me to a new Canadian pronunciation I was unaware of. <laughs> oh. <laughs> with macho. Macho. Oh, as opposed to macho. Macho. Yeah. Like the green yeah. tea matcha. Um, although I guess you could say matcha just as easily. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I, and I say nachos, not nachos too. So there you go. Though I could say either of them. Like, neither sounds wrong to me but mm. but yeah <laughs> um i mean nacho is just a nickname for ignatius <laughs> of course <laughs> but anyway what this led me to think actually as i was watching the movie was i was thinking you know it's curious that this trend didn't take off more you know especially mm-hmm, yeah. after like clueless you would think that uh more people would be attempting this Especially given that the source is in the public domain, so it's relatively cheap, and you don't have to like squabble for rights. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's going to have the automatic name value. Yeah, of like, which is what what all movies seem to need now is a, a built-in audience for the. Yeah, for the idea. and I was I was thinking, you know, we've gotten two, and they're both based on comedies. Mm-hmm. But how interesting would it be if somebody like tried to do like a high school King Lear that was you know like around a. Uh, student council election or something. <laughs> yeah, or Macbeth would be yeah around yeah. an election. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Would well, that would just end Othello up being melodrama? Work. Well, Othello would work. Yeah, of course, Othello would work as a as a love mm-hmm. affair. But mm-hmm. yeah, the question is, would you actually have people dying? Because it would. It's pretty turn grim things, for when yeah, when, would, when you have it would turn young people it dying. very different if yeah. you had them actually dying. But you could have them it, not. You could have them out of school suspension. Yeah, there'd be ways of, of of making this sort of you set up at the beginning what the worst thing that can happen to you is right. whatever it is expulsion from the social group or uh, suspension or something else and or it could be it could be thing. incredibly meta and the end goal is not to be you know the school pre- principal school president but to be like in the you know, make the school play or whatever. Yeah. So then it could be about drama, about drama. <laughs> and you could get kicked out of the play or not, you know, not yeah, make yeah. it. Yeah, not get in. Or, yeah. No, I think there's, I think there's definitely ways of playing it where you didn't uh, make it actually. But I guess the question would be, could you do that and not make it funny? Because you could do a funny version of Macbeth yeah. set in a, th- in a I, can, I can imagine a humorous version of Macbeth set in a high school. Could you make it a, truly dramatic tragedy of Macbeth and if you did would anybody want to watch it or would it be too heart-wrenching <laughs> no. well so there's there's a movie called Brick oh uh, yes. Directed... Hey, yes right we've seen that yeah oh you have, have okay so it? we have seen it 
Oh, I don't remember. Starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt of 10 Things I Hate About You, um, which is basically a neo-noir movie set in a high school. Yeah. Oh, I'm having vague flashbacks to it. Yes. It's well, pre-children. It was it. pre-children, so yeah. it, I, I barely... No, we had a baby. Oh, well, that explains why I don't remember it then. <laughs> I don't remember anything from when we had... From probably, when Eric was we probably little? Yeah, we probably oh, watched yeah. it when he was like asleep in her arms or something yeah okay so um mark has seen brick <laughs> and my conscious mind does not go on it didn't get the hugest audience but the director ryan johnson um has since risen to a little bit greater prominence he made looper which came out a couple oh, yeah. years ago oh, yeah. directed some of the best episodes of breaking bad and is working on a small movie you might or might not have heard of called star wars episode eight. Oh no it doesn't ring a bell yeah so <laughs> Yeah, well, no, there are. Yeah, that's true. Oh, I'm. Oh, I am. No, I am remembering, remembering it now. It, yeah. I, it's, it's coming back to me. Yeah. No, I mean, it's not that you can't write tragedies about mm-hmm. teenagers. There's lots of tragic movies about teenagers. Just the market value is not mm-hmm. as strong. It's a different. Yeah, it's a different kind of audience in terms of getting it popularity. Although, granted, with um, the rise in kind of like sick teen like ya movies about cancer Uh, like there (laughs) have been a weird number Mm -hmm. of them lately and i'll say i saw me and earl dying girl i absolutely loved it i sobbed like a baby so yeah not i'm not necessarily indicting the genre but and i guess we did get the kind of the Boz Lerman romeo plus juliet in the 90s um but some of those I i feel like you could translate to high school and still get a fairly good audience for them and you know i mean on the other hand in if you follow the idea of taking a tragedy and making it funny mm-hmm. kind of like dark comedy mm-hmm. um that's kind of what slings and arrows does right yeah because yeah. those those they're are all comic. based on they're all based on tragedies mm-hmm. of uh you know shakespearean tragedies but but they're funny it, it's obviously do you funny. know slings and arrows john no i'm afraid not so, any last comments on She's the Man as a movie before we get onto it as Shakespeare? And I guess we've done a little bit with the gender politics, but... I've got to say, it, it suffered for me from something that is sort of endemic to the genre. I find watching embarrassment comedy really hard. I, like, I hate it. Uh, so, Mark will attest to the <laughs> fact that large i i had my fingers in my ears during certain scenes and i couldn't watch scenes because that kind of cringeworthy stuff where you know somebody is saying something that's just so obviously wrong and you know it's going to come crashing down and they're just everybody else thinks they're an idiot whatever i can't handle that and so there was a lot of that in this well and the other thing of course that infuriated you Oh, okay yes (laughs) okay so that's one thing that's normal to the genre and it like i mean seinfeld for instance was based on that premise of that kind of embarrassment. And it's one of the reasons while I acknowledge it's a good show, I have trouble watching it because every so, other scene I can't handle. Have you ever watched Curb Your Enthusiasm? <laughs> no, but same because sort of it thing. Takes, no, Curb Your Enthusiasm takes that element, it turns it up to 15, <laughs> and it makes it so uncomfortable that you have to pause the show and walk away. L- let me just say, I um, I started watching The Office, the British Office, on somebody's recommendation, oh, yeah. and I got 15 minutes into the first episode and went, I can't, I cannot, that's not, not even, not even tiniest amount of possibility I can watch this show, because it, especially with the sort of fake realness of it, utterly unbearable for me. So, yeah, so I found that very hard in the movie, but Mark's right. There's something that bothered you even more, <laughs> and it's... 
I mean, it's so kind ridiculous. of trivial. It's sort of trivial, but okay. So, um, soccer or football, mm-hmm. um, not a Central American sport. That is, <laughs> it is very Central American, but it's not an American sport, right? Yes. There are some things about how soccer is played in this movie that are quite problematic. For instance, did, did you notice any of them? I mean, you probably know football somewhat. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to say that their level of skill as soccer players far surpasses um, what a high school <laughs> team would have. Oh, wait, yeah, okay. Yeah. That is definitely true. true. Uh, they're also way too built uh, for high schoolers. I was looking yeah. at that and thinking, no, I, well, I don't know. Maybe in American high schools where people put a lot of emphasis on the sports programs, maybe they get more more ripped and and bulked up. But I mean, I, I didn't definitely know any eighteen year old boys in our school mm-hmm. who had that kind of physique. And if they'd been much more like the eighteen year old boys I knew in my high school, she would have not looked nearly as out of place. <laughs> so just saying that. I definitely knew a lot of. Uh, guys in high school who were rather built and who okay. did kind of okay. yeah. See, know, we just lift. We didn't really I, have that kind of emphasis on sports in our high school anyway. So, but I will say, with the exception of an uncomfortable kind of opening scene of like bikini beach soccer, oh that yeah, didn't yeah, yeah, make any sense at all. There was very, very little objectification of women in this movie, but a lot yeah. of objectification of men. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah true. true. I can't um, say that but, I was well, upset about it, but no. So the thing thing that bothered me was in the big game at the end. They clearly don't understand the rules. They don't of understand soccer. the rules of soccer. It was utter like that. They clearly they did several things that were just for um, plot mm-hmm. expediency, and that don't work. She he sits Sebastian down right. You take you a person out of game. soccer, they are out. You don't sub in and out of soccer. If somebody comes out, they're gone. They cannot go in. You only have three substitutions in a game. If you use all three substitutions up, then if That's somebody it. else gets hurt, then you you're down a man. man down. Yeah. So when Sebastian was sat down, that was it. Viola was never getting back in that game. That's just not how soccer works, unless the rules of high school of soccer are different. Second, no, this is just a really pedantic point. The announcer at one point says, "We're in the bottom of the se- bottom of the second half now." And you don't say "bottom of the second half" about a soccer match. I mean, maybe <laughs> high school or announcers in the U.S. do. Don't but really know. Don't. <laughs> no, that and terminology then, only applies the, to baseball. Well, yeah, or football. I suppose you could be in the second half. I wouldn't half. say it about football. But you don't say second half in in baseball because you talk about innings in baseball. So yeah. But in uh, yeah, I don't know where that comes from. It sort of comes anyway. It's not right for soccer. And then the final thing is on the final scene. The penalty kick. The penalty kick. Okay, so she goes down. The guy gets a red card. And they say, okay, it's all come downs to this. One penalty kick. Okay, that's possible. If he was brought down, if she was brought down in the box, it would be a penalty kick. And they set it up like a penalty kick. There's nobody in between her and the goalie, the keeper. And she takes the shot. Fine. And I, but then it he saves it. It bounces out. Somebody else on the team strikes Duke. it. You Duke, of course, uh, hits it, uh, kicks it. She heads it in or kicks it in. I don't remember. I was so outraged by that point. I wasn't paying attention. And scores. You can't do that. A penalty shot, if a penalty shot is saved, it's not live. The ball isn't live. You cannot. The ball, the, 
after the penalty shot happens, whatever happens, you then reset and you keep playing. You can't that do anything more, with it. more sense for a free kick. It but would then work if with there free was kick. a free kick, then there'd be people lined up between, between her, and the, her goal, and the goal, which is what if it would. If, anyway, I realize this is very <laughs> pedantic, but the point is, they make it all about soccer, presumably because it's the only sport that you could have this gender yes exactly. swapping happen that it would make any sense. Although. Mm-hmm. There was another, believe it or not, another sports film based on Twelfth Night, which, which is football, apparently. Wow. I have not seen it. See, that seems harder. That seems harder. Yeah. So like football as in American football. Yeah. yeah and I mean, uh, that was what I was thinking was that clearly you they were thinking yeah. about it like a football game. Mm-hmm. Even the thing about talking about having second string and first string. Yeah, that's not how soccer team because there's the sub thing. There's always anyway. Didn't, you have your starters. Like it was set up just like it was a football, like, like a mm-hmm. standard American football yeah. movie with the kind of got to make the team, going to be a second stringer, going to sit on the bench, you know, all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But then they swapped in soccer so that it was believable, believable. for a yeah. girl, yeah. and and maybe because of the sort of resurgence of women's soccer in America in the last 10, 15 years. But it did. But they, I don't know. They either didn't know the rules, or they were like, "Who cares? We know our American audiences don't they know won't the rules know. of soccer. <laughs> they don't care. We'll do whatever we want." But it drove me kind of nuts. So there. Sorry. I will. Mm-hmm. I will say you just taught me more about the rules of soccer than two months of uh, <laughs> pickup games with my workmen in Turkey did. <laughs> I've never. The funny. I've never played soccer in any kind of real way, but I've watched a lot of World Cups. <laughs> That's really the only soccer I ever watched. It's the World Cup. But I watch it a lot. So, yeah. Anyway, that was my... Um, and I, I it just... It did... It sort of felt like, well, if you're going to make the movie all about how much she adores soccer, could you at least get the rules of the game right? Mm. It felt a little patronizing, but there you go. There, there were a couple elements that I don't like. Like, one, Sebastian just, like, runs away to London with his band, and they yeah. do yeah. really well because that happens. Because, you know, 17-year-old boys just have the expendable income to drop their hat and go to London. That's not how that expression works, but I'm using it that way. (laughs) Well, I mean, there was clearly underpinnings of immense wealth in that whole family. Yeah. But, I mean, that was just just the sort of base privilege on which the whole movie is built. I I guess that element was uh, reflecting the – I mean, music is a big part of the – original play play yeah. so they were trying to work music in i think mm-hmm. uh, in a number of ways mm-hmm. yeah and i speaking of music i did notice at the very beginning um when viola's walking like she's wearing a hoodie and um uh, monique oh, and is the like girlfriend yelling at her, her yeah yeah mm-hmm. the, her her brother's girlfriend mistakes her from behind for her brother mm-hmm. thus kind of planting the seed of the idea she's listening yeah. to earbuds and like yanks them out Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, in 2006, which is like really right at the beginning of when, I mean, the iPod was fairly popular by then, but mm-hmm. not, you know, still as ubiquitous as now, like everybody with an iPhone and their earbuds. Yeah. It was like, I, I just thought that interesting from like a sociological perspective, like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, this is when people start using earbuds as a social isolation device. Right. Um, and when people wouldn't such necessarily expect way. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And w- so that money didn't have any expectation that she'd be doing that. Yeah. That's true. And then my last pet peeve is why was there a tarantula in the movie? Because <laughs> the jump cut to the tarantula definitely made me like yelp on the subway and I got some weird <laughs> looks. 
because I watched this movie on my phone on the train. Um, also, at the big game at the end where mm-hmm. like they accuse first her brother of being a girl and he drops his pants and proves everyone yeah. wrong. Then they accuse her of not being a girl and she lifts her shirt up. Well, mm-hmm. the dude next to me started like looking at my phone when she lifted her shirt up. <laughs> And I was like, this is very weird because he was very obviously like trying to watch the movie. So I like closed the phone. And the second I did that, he turned away. And I was like, okay, that was great. Like, I would just like to say she's been binding herself the whole movie because, yes. you know, because of trying to pretend that mm. she's a boy. And then she's playing soccer and she doesn't even have a bra on. <laughs> what the what now like i mean i know that she was running like that she woke up late and the whole she wasn't dressed properly and all the rest she maybe didn't have time to bind herself fine and whatever but well she may not have had a bra around uh, yeah but anyway (laughs) it just it was it was another one of these plot convenience moments where no that doesn't make any sense there's a lot that was just not clearly not thought out (laughs) and then they were like and we want this scene in here so let's just stick that one in yeah so i think overall it was not an awful movie at all but it was a lot more forgettable Hmm. and and there were some i did think at the beginning that it was going to be really problematic on the gender polls when the first started setting it up and she was trying to pass as a man and a boy and and doing all that sort of stuff and i was like oh this is going to be horrible it's all going to be about sort of reverse drag jokes and stuff and then it wasn't it did a lot better with that than I thought it was going to. So I'll give it that. It did, that turned out to, as we said, to to do some interesting things mm-hmm. with gender and some stuff. So that was good. But um, it was a reasonably uninspiring movie from my perspective. I'd say. All right, mm-hmm. Mark. Any comments? Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. I mean, my previous experience with this film is I saw a few scenes of it because I'd included it in um a, in, in in a in a course um and I was going to teach it but I had a teaching assistant that year and uh gave her the the uh choice of whatever text she wanted to take over and teach for you know one of the lectures and this was the one she picked. So I never actually prepped a lecture for it, even right. though I put it on the syllabus because I was quite interested in the play. And she used the film to kind of make uh, a lot of points about how the play works. Mm. And so she showed a bunch of scenes from it. And so I, I saw basically what are probably the best bits of it right. <laughs> without seeing mm. the whole thing. Right. Um, and so I really wanted to see the rest of it. Um and it didn't, unfortunately, live up to... It's highlight reel. It's highlight reel, right. yeah. Yeah, I would say that there are some good scenes in it. But it overall is not a great movie. John? And, uh, yeah, that's largely because of its weird commitment to hyper-stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Like Eunice, the very enthusiastic girl who is very clearly supposed to be incredibly ugly because she wears a headgear because people still wear headgears in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then, you know, she does find love at the end and we're supposed to find humor in the fact that she does. And like, none of that is okay or comfortable. And then like the weird superficiality of her mom and her dad. And then like the opening scene where she finds out she can't make the soccer team and Mm -hmm. she's like oh i can just join the men's team and the coach is like no women are are scientifically not as good as men that's a fact i was like okay Mm -hmm. you're you could do with a little bit of subtlety here like Mm -hmm. you're you're not doing any favor yeah they swung between um caricaturing those kinds of positions and then doing some interesting kind of breaking down of them and 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 it was very inconsistent i thought yeah yeah. I wonder if that's the uh, result of sort of writing by committee or yeah, something. Yeah, rewriting. I will say that one of my favorite lines in it. Do we do favorite lines later? Should I not do this now? <laughs> no, that's true. We do favorite <laughs> lines. You can later. you can do it now. Yeah, okay. Um, one of my favorite lines was uh, when. What was it? It, it? I'm trying to remember exactly the setup was, but when the guy who ends up with Eunice mm. uh, says at one point. Wait, I've been trying to say that Eunice is, uh, yeah. you know, Eunice is interesting or, or or pretty or something like that. All all this time, you guys just laughed at me, but but Sebastian says she's pretty, and now she's really cool. I hate high school. Yeah, that was a good line. <laughs> just a sort of disgust with which I hate high school. I just thought, yeah, no, that that was a cri de cœur that comes right from the heart. So I liked that line. That was All right. my favorite. Well, shall we uh, discuss its allusions to and mm-hmm. take on Shakespeare now? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, the obvious big difference is that they drop the whole subplot mm-hmm. um, of, you know, the servants, I guess, you know, and which is really farcical in the play. And in a sense, you don't, I guess that you don't really need it in this film because so much of the main plot is pretty farcical yeah that having that broad comedy is unnecessary well also the that kind of multiple subplots is it's not that films don't do it but it's not really necessary or mm-hmm. doable in films quite the same way yeah there's a whole subplot in the in 12th night of oh i, I skimmed over it because it's not in the film but it's it's convincing uh olivia's um one of her servants one of her servants that she's in love with him and getting him to do all kinds of crazy things and then they use that as a pretense to declare him mad and lock him up and torment him right because he's a bit of a prig at the beginning yeah and and this is uh i mean the original context for the for the play was it was uh performed at 12th night which is uh traditionally a time of um raucous celebration and disorder specifically upturning normal social conventions and so there's this whole subplot of how people who won't give in and have that kind of fun are sticking the punished. yeah and so that that um servant of olivia's is this kind of upright morally upright uh kind of stick in the mud kind of guy and so he has to get his comeuppance and that's just totally taken out. There's, I don't think it's, it's not even other than. No, I don't think there's any names alluded to. Ma- uh, Malvolio, the oh, uh, yeah. the uh, the spider. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the tarantula is tarantula has is his the, name. Yeah, it's the name of the guy who gets his comeuppance. Yes, and I did notice that little tongue and cheekness. Um, 
with the name. Mm-hmm. They did the same thing uh, that they did in 10 Things with the name of the high school, high school. Elyria yeah. Prep yeah. and Cornwall Academy. Yeah. I thought it was weird that the mascot for Elyria was the Armadillos. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know what that. I'm also from this, like the southern United States where armadillos are very common, so yeah. they're roadkill to me. <laughs> it was weird seeing one in a zoo in Europe. <laughs> um, the Another, the big sort of quoting from moment, akin to the beginning of 10 Things, where, um, when he, in 10 Things, where he first, I burn, I right. perish. Right, I pine, I perish, yeah. But yeah. Uh, in this one, it was Duke giving the, the speech in which he says, okay, Viola, you can play for us as a girl. Right. And he says, yeah, I, the big quotes, pep up speech. Yeah, and he quote, says, uh, it's like Coach says, before every game, some have greatness, some are born to greatness, some have greatness thrust upon them. That's in Twelfth Night. That's at the end, uh, near the end of Twelfth Night, right. um, is there. It's put in quotation marks, and I'm not sure if that's because it's from something else originally, or not, or whether it's, but it's sort of it's said in the play as if it's a quotation of something. Hmm. I don't know if it is or not, but anyway. So that was that was a moment of the play quoting its uh, the movie quoting it. <sighs> that was a moment of the movie quoting its source material. Right. So. I mean, I just searched for some have greatness thrust upon them, and like all of the results are Twelfth Night. Yeah. So it probably doesn't predate that, or at least not in a way that we have record for. Oh, and then there's a Yahoo Answers thread. Can someone tell me what this quote means? <laughs> <laughs> nothing it's nothing at all <laughs> and i guess the other element that's sort of related to that 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 is lost is this element of carnival right mm-hmm. uh, or carnivalesque um this I, well of course there is a carnival the oh that's yeah, why i, I think that's the why the carnival, the carnival is in the junior league carnival that they go to i think that's, that's why that true. i think that's what that carnival is supposed to be alluding to where i mean it doesn't really serve that purpose though in a way you have that madcap her having to change back and forth and back yeah. and forth between yeah. the costumes and and the so you well, get what, some of that but when she changes when she changes back to a boy she mm-hmm. literally only runs away from her brother's ex-girlfriend and then changes back into a girl so she actually right. changed into a boy for literally no reason yeah also she had makeup on every time she was a girl and not as a boy, but there was no freaking way she could have done that makeup job in B- Bouncy Castle. And when she <laughs> took her wig off in the game, her hair was just—it was straight Beautiful. and yeah, it wasn't cramped. <laughs> her hair is you know, so long tangled. too. How could she possibly hide that much hair under her uh, wig? So I know. Under a wig. Yeah, there were some flaws. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I think that's what the carnival was supposed to yeah. supposed to get us to. There. What I did think that was interesting, the one of the core elements of the play that was picked up on, I think, and in fact, it's probably one of the most successful parts of the movie that we already talked about, is the idea that of learning how to woo. Yes. Because in, tw- in the play, that's a really important element is it begins with Duke Orsino sighing like, and this <laughs> this brings us to something Mark and I have talked about on the our other podcast that we just put out today and have been talking about for various reasons about courtly love mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the old, the sort of um, Petrarchan ideas of swooning away for love mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. So at the beginning of the play, 
he's swooning for love for Olivia, but he hasn't even seen her in ages because she's locked herself away. And, and it's all very artificial and highly wrought and all the courtly mm-hmm. lover cliches mm-hmm. are there. And I mean, it's the, which he starts to play with if music be the food of love play on and mm-hmm. all the, the mm-hmm. you know, this flowery speeches. And then when Viola goes to woo Olivia on his behalf, she throws away the prepared speech he wrote for her and speaks much more bluntly to her. And that's what catches her attention. And then she falls in love with Viola. And then later she, to, with Duke Orsino, she is essentially telling him, you're doing this wrong. You're, you're, you're pining after somebody who doesn't want you. You need to think about who's in front of your eyes. And I mean, there's all this devil entendre going on Mm -hmm. about how she's in love with him now and wants him to notice her just like in the movie. But still there's this important element of the play that's about him Mm -hmm. learning to woo authentically and about Olivia too, who acts as if she's this impenetrable princess in a locking herself up and has to learn to Mm -hmm. take a more realistic approach to love and actually look for real connection. And in the same way, that's what Viola does for um, Orsino or for Duke in the movie. She teaches him. Him literally him. teaches him how to properly or uh, teaches him how to woo a girl in a way that is authentic as opposed to trying to pose and be like the kind of I don't really know that he thinks she does though she doesn't really effectively teach him how to woo Olivia because Olivia only is interested as a means by which to make Viola yeah. cum Sebastian jealous uh but that's what that's the same as in the play. Viola does not in the play end up helping Orsino woo Olivia. Mm, yeah. What she does is she presents herself to Olivia as without meaning to as a better wooer than the duke. Yes, okay. she shows by example. And then she shows by example than... and then also she tells the duke you're doing it wrong and essentially ends up saying mm-hmm. you did it right with me. You opened yourself up to me in a much better way. And you won my heart mm-hmm. by the end of the reveal, if you see what I mean. So he yeah, did learn yeah. how to woo. He just not the one he. And then part of the learning the to woo process was actually also learning who he should be trying to mm-hmm. achieve. Yes, and he did, didn't know he was learning the lesson when he was. No, basically. no. It was the the lesson he thought he was learning from her is not the one he actually ended up learning. So in fact, it parallels the the play quite closely mm. in that particular aspect of the of the plot. Now, the question I have uh, that I can't remember since it's been a while since I've read the play is how much there is on the other side, um, you know, in terms of the relationship between uh, like Olivia being attracted to um, Cesario uh, um, in terms of what that tells us about wooing and, as you say, because you know it's made such a a big deal in in the movie that um olivia is attracted to sebastian um because you know she's so different than you know the 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 sort of hyper masculine guys Mm -hmm. um that that's the reason that you know she Mm -hmm. kind of falls falls for her uh is that an element? Well, not exactly that, because it's not, not the hypermasculinity stuff. No. But, but yeah, I mean, she says um, when Viola first comes to see her, uh, as pretending to be 
um, Cesario. As I say, she comes in and starts with the, the prepared speech and then mm -hmm. she kind of throws it away and says, you know what, I, I'm not going to bother doing this. Um, I, and Olivia says, come to what is important. In, I forgive you the praise. Like, mm -hmm. get to the point. Viola says, alas, I took great pains to study it and it is poetical. And Olivia, it is the more, sorry, it is the more like to be feigned. I pray you, keep it in. I heard you were saucy at my gates and allowed your approach rather to wonder at you than to hear you. Don't, in other words, don't talk. Don't give me the prepared speech. Right. It's just going to be false. Yeah. Whatever you try to tell me that's in the poetical vein is going to be false. And she then kind of says, all right, fine. I'm going to just do what I need to. I'll say what I want to. And that by the time she leaves is what Olivia says. That's, you know, sort of essentially that's the first person who seems to be seeing something sincere to me. Right. Okay. So it's, it's a question slightly of different. Yeah. It's about sincerity and lack of um, polish. Right. And, and sort of bluntness. She even says to Olivia, like, um, cause Olivia has locked herself away because her brother has died. And mm. so she's in mourning and says to herself, says to her, this is excessive. You need to, enjoy the moment more you need to mm. you, you can't bring your brother back by mourning him right you're doing the wrong thing no so she's very blunt with her so it's like then that that moment in the movie when uh viola says um you know when they're dissecting the yeah the frog says, or whatever, oh says, you're gonna have to do gonna this have to do this because i'm gonna pass out um mm -hmm. it's on honesty honesty mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. rather Which than says, oh, most guys wouldn't admit that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which viola takes as a problem with her gender presentation right but is in fact a problem with her understanding of what the gender should be and with mm -hmm. what guys mm -hmm. think about gender yeah so yeah so i think it does it, it's not quite on the same axis as the play because the issues are slightly different but yeah there's, there's quite no a bit of that of okay. olivia saying that she right. she finds her attractive for that reason and i feel they could have done i mean you know, even though there's not more of that in the play, they could have done more with the scenes between Viola and uh, Olivia. I felt mm -hmm. Olivia didn't really get to do as much as she should no, have. I think no, and I, I said that's the part of it that I w wish there was more of. Mm -hmm. um, it, it could have been more interesting, but yeah. if it's not as you say, it's not really reflected more than that in the play. Then. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, they only really used her character as a way to motive or to to, to uh, advance the relationship between Viola and Duke. Mm -hmm. Partly, I suppose that is because of the emphasis on the masculinity rather than the emphasis yeah. on on femininity. So they don't explore why it is that Olivia has the expectations she has about. We had that little scene with her with her less popular friend saying, "Okay, here's how you do it. This is how you manipulate them into liking you." Right which is a scene that could have been developed into the problematic expectations of women and their relationship, but wasn't right. Um, maybe because the writers also just thought we can only do so much. Mm. We, we need to keep their focus on one thing. And if we try to be too subtle on too many fronts, they're not going to be able to handle it, <laughs> which might be true. Who knows? And the movie was fairly short. It was what mm -hmm. an hour 36, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was not so clocking in much under a Shakespeare play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know what it is about this is sort of going off on a bit of a, a tangent, but why it's so often uh, when when they do adaptations of this play, 
why they're always sports films because there are two other films and both of them are sports. are sports films so as i mentioned the other one is a football one and there's another one on um motocross or something <laughs> okay <laughs> i guess because a, a, probably because a of the hyper, man's world sort of thing yeah the hyper yeah. like yeah make the ex the extremes mm -hmm. of gender um because if you don't how do you how do you point out how strange it is for this mm -hmm. woman to be acting like a man and there's not a lot of that in the play i mean there's a bit of you know her getting the freedom uh of you know being in male disguise to you know interact with the world more but it's not really a in the play in the play no. not well, really that's, much of an element yeah well that's what i mean about how in the play the gender swap is it's really it's it's, it's just a plot device, it's a plot really. device yeah. they need you need a, a way for the woman to be mm -hmm. able to be an, an independent agent and there's a and little bit need, of you need jokes to be able to and things built into it but beyond but that's that, just because once you've done yeah. that of course you're going to exploit yeah. it but yeah. it's not the point of it mm -hmm. uh, it really isn't I suppose one of the reasons it's probably sports films is at this point for a girl to simply decide that she's going to present male, mm -hmm. even not talking trans or anything, but just being, you know, being androgynous or being whatever, however you want to say it, isn't really extreme enough. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things I, I noticed about the play is when at the end the duke is like are you sure you're a woman <laughs> you know or who, you know who are you of course she doesn't lift her shirt up to show him what she says is and she repeats it like four times i'll prove you i am who i am i'll take you to the house where the sea captain has hidden my women's things and i'll show you i have women's clothes and that will prove i'm a woman <laughs> and that's the big plot reveal is that she you know she she and her brother are like trading back and forth when they finally come face to face uh, facts about their family life to be sure that they are indeed sister and brother tell. because sebastian <laughs> is like i don't have a brother who are you <laughs> he says that he says who are you i thought i was the only son of my parents i see myself across from me but i have no brother only a sister who are you how that you are so male are you you know like some bastard yeah. brother of mine or something i mean <laughs> it's a pretty good disguise if your, yeah, own, brother your own, can't. own brother can't tell even though he's you know hoping to see his sister and she says to him, no, I really am. I'll prove it. I'll go get my clothes. So it just shows how it's such a different world where what you wore mm -hmm. really genuinely made who you were to such an extent. Yes. Well, and that is that is not uh, just not replicable for, for the time. Mm -hmm. That's actually quite true. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but it's in, just not true now. England. Yeah. I mean, yes, of course, we make who we are by what we wear, but you can change those things mm -hmm. you can just wear something else and i guess that's reflected a little bit in the in the whole subplot about the um debutante yeah i suppose that's what's kind of going on i i don't mean to uh turn this into a canada joke but <laughs> literally the second you said like women presenting more masculine the first thing i thought of was avril lavigne <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, because like she, the yeah. way she made that her shtick like yeah. the, the, yeah. the skewed high and the you know yeah but of course she, and and that's the thing that's what's different now is a girl wearing boys clothes even the most clearly boy boy clothes it is not it's out of, not out it's of not out of place and she was you know whenever levine put on a tie and boys clothes she was not masculine 
Did you know that? I, I just mean, recently you know, found she, out. She, she was not de-sexed. She did yeah, not. We, yeah. She did not present yeah. as non-feminine. It was just sexy boy. <laughs> um, I just recently found yeah. out that there's a conspiracy theory that Avril Lavigne died and they replaced her with a lookalike. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like people who compare like photos, and they're like the tattoo is in a slightly different location in this one. It's like Paul is dead all over again. Oh yes. yeah! Wow, the world is never. The world is just always more crazy than you think it's going to be. Just when you think, yeah. no, of course I know the depths to which, but yeah. So it. So anyway, so I wouldn't. I, I bet that's one of the reasons why the sports thing yeah, is then yeah. because gotta... that's one of the places where no, if you walk out on the field wearing a men's soccer uniform, you are a man. Mm-hmm. Or not, yeah. you know. And mm-hmm. there are in fact, but I think that's one of the places where where the real separation and the signals are really strong, and so you can then play with it more easily. Of course, her flashing mm-hmm. as a way to uh, verify who she was is also kind of reminiscent of Cat flashing the oh, her soccer yeah, to teacher. Get the, yeah. To get the uh, yeah. distraction. Yeah, so mm-hmm. both this and 10 Things have the main character flashing their soccer coach, which is yeah. <laughs> a weird tradition to have. Because we didn't really talk about that, but 10 Things, Cat plays mm-hmm. soccer. And like that's a, that's yeah. true. A, yeah. It's a minor part of the movie, but it's still like a part of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's a tomboyish element in her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another totem that I thought kind of was replicated between this and 10 Things is giving a, an item, uh, as, like giving an item as a way to say, I'm sorry, that was effective enough that the person would come around. Right. Because at the end of 10 Things, it's the Fender Strat. Mm-hmm. And at yeah. the end of this movie, it is a giant wheel of Gouda. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was good. I mean, yeah. there were there were genuinely funny things in the movie. They were yeah. definitely fun. They weren't, you know, as many or as good necessarily, but they were that the whole thing about you know ask me something do you like do cheese you, like cheese? you know yeah. it was funny yeah, honestly, it was a funny scene <laughs> honestly the gouda bit was my favorite just the wheel at the end um and the box came and mark said it's gonna be cheese <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he saw the bow the bow on it he said, it's gonna be cheese how would you eat that much gouda, <laughs> you have to have like a cheese party Fondue. <laughs> can't do no, you can't fondue. do, can't do good of fondue. That would work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, it was good. It was a good moment. All right. Well, Avon, do you have any other favorite? Okay, I actually just searched Gouda fondue, and the first thing that came up was a Food Network.com recipe. So. Oh, well, <laughs> well, of course, maybe you can. Um, I think it would but yes, properly, but. Yeah. Uh, that was my favorite element. Uh, Avon, was yours just that quote, or do you want to add anything uh, else? I think that was probably my favorite yeah yeah all right mark <sighs> i feel hard pressed to come up with a a third option <laughs> to be honest <laughs> Does it do good movie moments um yeah my other favorite i'd say which was not funny but i i did when they were having the conversation in the in the room in the dorm room yeah in which he said you know i wish i could talk to yeah a girl about stuff uh you know it was it was not deep 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 but it was well played they both played it well Mm -hmm. and it was not overdone and it was touching i thought yeah i like the the spider spider (laughs) when they were jumping on the bed they're jumping on the bed that was i I, I could pick that as a yeah as a favorite (laughs) moment (laughs) Okay, 
All right. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next time, actually, with Ron. <laughs> so look forward to that. Uh, I'm John. I'm Avon. And I'm Mark. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to As We Like It. You can find more episodes and more information about the show at theextracurricular.com and find more about Avon and Mark's other projects at alliterative.net. If you enjoyed today, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes or Stitcher, as your five stars can really help us reach new listeners. You can reach us all on Twitter. I'm at alliterative. I'm at Avon Sarah, A-V-E-N-S-A-R-A-H. And I'm at John Vox, J-O-N-V-O-X. All right, so with that, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to As We Like It, your favorite Shakespeare movie discussion podcast. So I know last week, not week, not even month, last episode, we are kind of periodic, but this is a passion of love, as most passions are. I'm just going to start everything <laughs> over again. Yeah, the last one we did was passion before Christmas. Well, you yeah. could have passion. Um, I also realized that my window is open, so I'm going to quickly shut it. Oh, my goodness. I guess it's not that cold here, but can't imagine having windows open. But then we don't live in an apartment that's probably overheated, so.